Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. Is bioeconomy the answer to a sustainable and fair future? Today, we'll talk about the importance of bioeconomy together with the director of the European Forest Institute, Mark Palai. And now, relax and enjoy. Welcome back to our show. This is Mark Siles talking today from our studio in Helsinki. It was mentioned in an article published at the World Economic Forum written by Frank Richberman, director of the Global Grain Growth Institute, that bioeconomy is a hot topic for scientists and policymakers. Rapid advances in molecular biology, combined with big data and artificial intelligence, have resulted in big jumps in our understanding of living organisms, including the biomass produced by plants and animals, at the level of their DNA. That has gone hand-in-hand hand with technologies that allow scientists and industry to manipulate easily everything from enzymes to bacteria to plants and animals. Industry can now make bio-based plastic from plant oils rather than fossil-based sources. So rapid are the changes in science and manufacturing and so profound are its implications that some refer to the new bioeconomy as the fourth industrial revolution. Bioeconomy refers to an economy that relies on renewable natural resources to produce food, energy, products and services. This will reduce our dependence on fossil natural resources prevent biodiversity loss and create new economic growth and jobs in line with the principle of sustainable development. Mr. Richverman's article also says that the traditional bioeconomy is not new. It is agriculture and forestry, or the agrofood system. But clearly the current agrofood system is not sustainable. It produces roughly a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions causing climate change, has led to degraded soils in a very large share of cultivated land, it's responsible for some 70% of all water used by man, and thus it's a key factor in water scarcity. It overuses chemical fertilizers that cause massive pollution in rivers, lakes, and coastal zones, and is responsible for the lion's share of deforestation, loss of wetlands, and biodiversity. Taking a look at the total energy produced and used by the entire world in 2016, we can see that 80% of the total world energy came from fossil fuels. 10% from biofuels, 5% from nuclear, and 5% from renewable, meaning hydro, wind, solar, and geothermal energy. Only 23% of that total wall energy was used for residential purpose, that is heating homes and cooking as well as lightning and appliances. While the 77% was dedicated to industry, services, and transportation. Iceland is currently the only country in the world that obtains 100% of its energy from renewable resources, with 87% of it coming from hydropower and 13% from geothermal power. The Ministry of Finnish Environment said in a report published about bioeconomy strategy that in 2030 the world will need 50% more food, 45% more energy and 30% more water than today. The growing demand will result in a scarcity of natural resources and push their prices up. The availability of raw materials and efficiency of their use will thus become a new competitive advantage. Increasing environmental awareness and more stringent legislation will also be drivers in the manufacture of products that have less harmful impact on the environment. 
this global development lays the foundation for a change towards Vaya economy. So it justified to refer to the transition from a fossil economy to a Vaya economy as a new wave of economic development. Talk about Vaya economy and how this could be the answer for a sustainable and fair future. We have today with us on the phone Mark Palahi. Mark has been the director of the European Forest Institute since 2015. He's responsible for leading the organization towards an acknowledged pan-European science policy platform. Previously, he led EFI's policy support activities and during this time was instrumental in launching Think Forest, the European high-level science forum on the future of forest. He has also worked as head of the European Forest Institute Mediterranean Regional Office and has a PhD in forestry and economics and a master science in forestry engineering. Very impressive. Mark, welcome to our show. Thank you, Mark. A pleasure. Good morning. And it's really nice to talk to you. Two Catalans in Finland. <laughs> exactly. That's not a common thing, but it's great to have such a support all that far away from home. Before we start with the interview, let me ask you what is becoming the first question for all my guests. Tell me, what are you truly passionate about? Truly passionate? I would say that first of all, I am passionate about life. I think someone said that it's not the years in your life, but the life in your years. And since I am passionate about life, I am extremely passionate about, about nature, also about people, and especially in the connections between the two of them, between nature and people. But I am also passionate and very curious about change. Life is about change. And I am especially curious and, and passionate about everything that relates to transformational change. Mm -hmm. How change takes place in nature and also in people's mind, in society. Nature, people and change. I love those three words. How is your passion linked with what you think that the world needs at the moment, Mark? I think in a, in a deep sense, I believe that the world needs to recognize with uh, life in its deepened sense. Mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you why. For the last 200 years, we have been relying on a, on a fossil-based economy. Oil, gas, plastics, steel. Remember that the word fossil means death or resistance to change, while bio means life. Mm. Life is about change. So I think in, in the deepest sense, the world needs a paradigmatic shift in the way it operates. We need to connect back to life, to nature. We have been now really disconnected from the basic cycles of life and nature. And I think we are in a transitioning moment because many people are realizing that. And many of the problems that we are experiencing, climate change, degradation of natural resources, are because we have lost the connection to nature and with life in its deepest sense. I totally agree. And I think that apart from the issue you have been describing, we touched as well in some of our previous podcasts, what that lack of connection is creating as well in other fields like mental mental health exactly. and other type of issues like anxiety, depression, stress, and how that's creating this ecosystem, which at the moment may not be driving to the best outcome. But I believe as well that there's a lot we can do about it. Before I start asking you more about Vaya economy, could you explain for our audience what is exactly the European Forest Institute and what is its mission? Yes, uh, the European Forest Institute is an intergovernmental organization which generates science in order to drive transformational change in policies, in business, in people related to the necessary shift that we need to 
undertake in our economy to move from the current fossil economy towards a sustainable economy which is based on the sustainable use of natural resources. Mm -hmm. So basically we are connecting science to political action, to business action for change. And how long has the Institute been around? Uh, last year we celebrated our 25th anniversary, so we have been working for the last 25 years, but it was recognized as an international organization back in 2005. Mm -hmm. So you can see that it, we have been upscaling our activities and more recently we have been more active in the, at the interface of science, policy and business. You know, it, it emerged as an institute basically coordinating and networking scientific research organizations. And in the recent years, we have moved the organization towards a science policy business platform. That sounds like a great evolution and as well a brilliant future in front of you, especially when we are looking at the challenges we have ahead during the next upcoming years. Let's move back to the topic of bioeconomy. What and who is driving the development of this economy, of the bioeconomy? First of all, bioeconomy, in my view, uh, is not defined like this very often, but to me the bioeconomy is about bringing life at the center of the economy. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned before, bio means life, so the bioeconomy is about bringing life at the center of the economy. It is about valuing nature, natural capital. In the past years, the bioeconomy has been very much led from the laboratories by scientists, from uh, material science, biotech, biological-related uh, organizations, innovation. And, and at the laboratory level, the bioeconomy is already a reality. So scientifically, the bioeconomy is a reality. I think the challenge that we are facing now is that in the next years, we need to bring this reality from the laboratory to the economic scale, to the societal scale. Mm -hmm. So we need to really upscale the possibilities of the bioeconomy and bring it, uh, transform it from a technological reality into an economic reality. And to do that, we, of course, we will need regulations. We need the governments to become active. We need investors. We need to explain to the potential investors what the bioeconomy is about, why it's so important in terms of environment and business, so that we will channel the investments necessary to upscale from the laboratory to the economy. Hmm. If I understand correctly, of course, there will be economical and financial constraints and needs to include in the equation. And how can those boost national economies and employment? How will it affect countries and people? I think uh, there is a very easy way to, to see the benefits of the bioeconomy. And is if you look at the ownership, for example, of our biological resources, for example, look at our forest. Mm -hmm. There are in Europe, there are 16 million forest owners. Compare that to who is owning, owning oil resources, gas resources, minerals, and many other things. So basically, if we put our biological resources to work for our economy, you know, it's that yeah. we recognize nature as the as the power of our economy. Mm -hmm. I think we will be able to have a, a much more inclusive growth so we can distribute wealth in the territory in a much more democratic way. Mm -hmm. And the bioeconomy also is about innovation. It's about connecting technology and innovation to nature to produce new products, new services. So it will deliver also high added value products and uh, high added value jobs. It's a way to reinvent our economy, to modernize our economy by bringing it, paradoxically, by bringing it back to nature. So it's, it will offer 
benefits in terms of employment in rural and urban areas. Mm -hmm. And I think it will it will catalyze new innovations and, and a smart and sustainable growth in our, in our European and, and global economies. So you see a potential for the bioeconomy and a big potential to create employment as well. And when we talk about employment, we talk about new jobs, not redefining jobs that already exist. I think so. I think so, because we will need to reinvent ourselves. I think in the next next three decades, we will need to experience the, the greatest economic transition in human history, because we will need to move towards a carbon neutral economy. This is a huge effort because it means replacing not only fossil energy sources like oil, gas, coal mm -hmm. by renewables, but it also means replacing all the non-renewable materials that we are using now. Remember that our cities, for example, are built on based on concrete, steel. Then also we have the plastics issue. So it means shifting all these materials and energy in key industrial sectors towards new types of products that are based on renewable sources. And the only way to replace non-renewable materials is by using renewable biological resources. Mm -hmm. So the bioeconomy is uh, an important part of the solution for this transition. You are also talking about the quality of those new job places and as well the quality of, of life in general. Worldwide, 3 billion people still do not have access to clean energy for cooking, meaning that they prepare food on open wood fires, for example. How can it be a driver for growth thinking about bioeconomy, especially in the areas where it's needed the most to increase this quality of life? This is a very, very good question, Mark, and I, I think that in, in many areas of the world, of the world Nowadays, the case of Africa is very clear. Low efficient bioenergy using wood is the main source of energy in many of the rural areas for cooking, for heating, for many things. An important transition in the coming years will be that these people will utilize other types of energy sources like solar, for example, and then the current biological resources like wood that are being used for low efficient energy could be used for higher added value materials. Mm -hmm. Now the interesting development is that a new generation of biorefineries are emerging in many parts of the world. This means replacing the traditional oil refineries by bio-based refineries. And I think this could be also a very important development for Africa and Asia to produce with the, their existing biological resources new types of materials like textiles, for example, is a very good example. Hmm. In the future, we will need to replace polyester, synthetic fibers, but also cotton, which is not sustainable. And, and wood-based textiles is one of the most significant materials that we can use in the future to replace them. I think what you said now, it's also an important differentiation to keep in mind. What's the difference between that something is ecological or it's sustainable? Yes, exactly. This is a very important question that needs to be very clear. First of all, that something is biologically based doesn't mean that it's sustainable. Cotton is a very good example. Some uses of biological resources for energy also are are clear and there is another important aspect that renewable resources like biological resources do not mean that they are unlimited so they need to be managed and transformed sustainably so we need to be very careful and this is why 
resource efficiency and using our biological resources in the best possible way is crucial. Mm -hmm. So renewable doesn't mean unlimited and bio-based doesn't mean sustainable. Those are extremely good points, especially when we hear a lot of talk about what it's called the circular economy. So how would you say that the, how different the circular economy and the bio economy concepts are and why should they be brought together? Yeah, very, very good, because there is a lot of misunderstandings also in this. And uh, first of all, I think that the bio economy and the circular economy, they need each other in order to replace the existing linear fossil based economy. Why? I, I just mentioned that biological resources are renewable, but they are not unlimited. And therefore, they need to be used efficiently, intelligently, and sustainably. And to do so, we need to join forces with the circular economy, which is about resource efficiency, and especially is about designing materials and products in a new way, so that they can be easily reusable, recyclable. You could say that the circular economy is more about the process, the design of the products and the materials to make it as efficient and as circular as possible, while the bioeconomy is about using bio-based solutions in a sustainable way to replace fossil products. Mm -hmm. And they need each other because at the end of the day, a circular economy that continues to rely on fossil sources will not address the urgent environmental problems that we are facing, like climate change. And a bioeconomy that is not circular will not have enough resources to massively replace the fossil economy. So basically, the circular economy and the bioeconomy are two sides of the same coin, the coin of a new economic model that we need. And I believe also by bringing both together, it also challenges the topic of the CO2 emissions, the CO2 emissions reduction you were talking before. Is that right? Exactly. Yes, because by nature, if you use renewable biological resources to produce products, they are by nature carbon neutral because you are using a, a resource that previously has been fixing carbon because how biomass is built is by sequestering CO2 into biomass through photosynthesis. So if we are using this uh, biomass to produce products, and then we are again managing sustainably our biological resources, is a continuous cycle where you are fixing carbon into the biomass and then you use these products to replace products that were, for example, using fossil-based materials. And you need these circular systems to do that in a very efficient way, to minimize waste and to ensure that you maintain the, the value of these materials as much as possible in their life cycle. I think it's extremely important to get a big picture and understand how those different names and different terms that are being used in the media, how it makes sense to the audience for us also to understand what can be done and how can we support each one of those initiatives. Lande Zuidema, the coordinator for climate and energy work of FERN, non-governmental organization that influences EU policies that impact forests and forest peoples globally, commented back in 2015 that the forestry sector provides an example of where different demands compete and a better understanding is needed for resource efficiency and trade-offs between different uses in the light of a circular economy. Do you think that since then, since 2015, when these topics started to become more important in the government and people's agenda, do you think that we have advanced on that understanding and translating those talks into concrete actions? I think we, we have advanced, but let me start with a reflection, which I think explains why this type of questions or comments are there. And I think it's the following. We are still thinking linearly. You know, we, we are in a moment of history where we need transformational change. Mm -hmm. 
You know, Albert Einstein said that we cannot solve our, our current problems with the same thinking we had when we created them. And this is exactly what we need now. We are in a tipping point and we need a new way of thinking. And in the last 20, 30 years, if you look back from the Rio conference in 1992, the mantra of sustainability has been always, we need to decouple economic growth from environmental degradation. So it's, it's basically try to, trying to minimize trade-offs. But to be honest, I don't think this is what we need. I think we need a paradigmatic shift in our way of thinking. So what we need to do is to couple economic growth with ecology. You know, what we need to do is to connect nature, to recognize nature as the basis of prosperity. And I think this is a fundamental difference. Eh? You know, when you try to decouple economic growth from environmental de degradation, you are trying to disconnect two different things. Basically, you are trying to continue do doing the same thing, but minimizing the impact. And I think this is wrong. What we need to do is to recognize that our economy in the past has failed to value nature, to value our natural capital. So we need to start from the point of view that nat nature, natural capital, ecology should be the basis for a new economy. And in that sense, it's about building synergies, not about only trying to minimize trade-offs, but completely the opposite, trying to build synergies and if a sustainable bioeconomy at the end of the day requires biodiversity, investing in biodiversity. So the companies that are relying on a bioeconomy should be the first ones to invest in biodiversity, in the resilience of our environment. But you know, the comment that you were using, which is very typical, eh? this comment is, okay, yeah, but if we use forest, we use biological resources, then we will have an impact in biodiversity. But this is the old thinking. What we need to do is that since we need to rely on nature as the engine of our economy, we need to, first of all, take care that we invest in nature. So we, are, we should be the first one interested to invest in nature, in biodiversity. And I think this is going to be very hard for many people to understand because it's a totally different way of looking at the environment and the economy and, it, and the interrelations between the two of them. I think what you're exposing me here is one of the main challenges I've noticed as well among my clients working all over the world with the topic of change. And this is the thing that is not about, we're not talking about process improvements. We don't talk about minor doing things in a different way, but still having the same mindset. Exactly. We talk about radical thinking and it doesn't mean that process improvements, that uh, those are small, you know, what it's called in the, in the USA, they call the low hanging fruits, that they don't have to be disregarded. They're okay. You know, we can have few of them, yes. but in order to create radical transformation, we need a total different way of thinking. And that requires to face one of the big challenges, which is things like our own ego, the stubbornness to believe that we know all what we know. And this requires as well to forget things that we know, to bring in new learnings, to bring in new knowledge and go towards some, let's let me call, you know, lands where we don't have maps. We only have compass with us. That usually the metaphor I use, maps and compasses. Yes. For process improvements, we have maps, we understand where we are, so we can navigate and it feels more comfortable. Having said that, to go into the area that you are mentioning, we need compasses. And the only thing that the compasses tells us is our north, nothing else. And to have that north, we need a, we need a strong vision as well to be on place. Yes. So for institutions and companies, what I've seen when they lack, first of all, the north, they lack the vision and the strong passion to go towards that place where... They know that they don't have maps, that they only have a compass and they will have to face the struggles, they will have to face failures and they will have to learn new things. And that's okay. It's not until then when they can make these radical transformations. And for this case, if I understand you're right, you're pointing at the same direction, is that we don't know how we will get there, 
But if we have a strong vision and we have the eagerness to try and learn new things and use this compass that tells us what is the north, what is that passion that we want to strive toward, we'll get there at some point. But we just need to understand that it's a lot of learning and unknowns we will need to face. And that's okay. Exactly. Fully agree, Mark. And I think uh, many times I, I use this parallel is that in, if you look back to the Renaissance, you know, from the 16th century up to the 19th century, we experience huge transformations. The Renaissance, the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution. So there were 300 years where the, we really put the basis for a modern era. And now we are in a time of history that in the next three decades, we will need to experience transformations as huge as we experienced in those 300 years before. So we need a new renaissance to really reflect about the role of humanity in nature and the role of nature in humanity. We need a new industrial revolution, which is based on the digital and the biological sub-revolutions, because at the end of the day, the digital revolution is transforming the way that we can understand nature and the way that we can unlock value from our biological systems. Mm -hmm. So I think the new industrial revolution would be happening at the interface, at the merging of the digital and the bio. And let me have a reflection about this uh, digital revolution. Now it's very fashionable for companies, cities to be digital, you know? Everyone is fascinated about these sophisticated technologies, the digital. And I think it's also time to be humble and recognize that nature is the ultimate sophistication. This is very important, you know? Now when everything is digital, schools, companies, everyone is... I think is the most important time to be humble mm -hmm. and come back to nature and recognize that nature, which is the result of billions of years of evolution, which is the most advanced engineering on the planet. So we need to recognize that that is the ultimate sophistication and we need to get inspiration from nature. Many of the solutions to our problems are there. We need to observe all these billions of evolutions that are lying there in our forest, in our oceans. You see, you get me excited, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent to hear. When I think about the years I spent working in Japan and China, I noticed that a lot of their wisdom is based on stories from nature. You're right. To learn and observe. You're right. Very quickly, I recall a story I heard from one of my clients in China of, of this pastry that they talked to kids to talk about this topic. And, you know, this pastry that was selling, was selling muffins. And then suddenly one day they noticed that some of the boxes they were getting did not have any muffin inside. So it was very hard when they were selling to clients. Clients were going home with empty boxes and they were getting angry. And this was like a national worldwide problem. So then the story goes that there was this big factory that invested millions of euros to design this machine that would detect the weight of the boxes and pull them aside when they were uh, not having a muffin inside. And then this small guy from this bakery didn't have all those resources. So what he did is like he went for a walk to the forest and then suddenly he noticed how the wind was wiping out the leaves that just were falling off the trees in autumn. And then he just got the idea, he went back to his store and the only thing he did, he placed a fan in front of the boxes. So the boxes that didn't wait anything just <laughs> were taken away by the wind. And that costed, what, five, ten euros? While the other guys, they use all the technology and they invest in millions. And these kind of stories have been used for many years through ancient, ancient cultures. So I believe that what you're pointing at now to stop for a while and reflect and look back at the answers we have around us, it's a very, very important factor. And that brings in mind actually one of your posts, Mark, that I read that I, I really like. You started your post, if I recall, mentioning uh, Nelson Mandela, who once said that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use 
to change the world. And this touched me a lot, especially after my, my daughter, I have a 12 years old daughter, and she has started to ask me, you know, she looks very concerned about what's going on and which kind of future we're going to live for her. And I'm going to paraphrase one question uh, that in the way that you open up your mention post, how can education help to build a sustainable future, balancing economy, ecology, nature and society in the era of digitalization and urbanization, as you have just been mentioning? I, I think it's crucial. Eh? And I think this sentence, I like that you took it because it's one of my favorite ones. And I think without education, we will not be able to change the world. You know, as Nelson Mandela was saying, it's the most powerful weapon we, ha we have to change the world. And I think this is crucial that we invest in proper education so that the new generations will be again connected to nature. If we need to realize a, a bioeconomy in the future, you know, bringing life at the center of the economy, we need to start educating our children, which currently think uh, we are living in an urbanized society. So most kids in the world, more than 50% of the kids are being educated in cities how are our cities look like most of the cities is basically asphalt concrete steel okay a few trees but and i think we need a fundamental shift in how our cities look our schools look and how we invest in our children to reconnect back to nature mm -hmm. so that they understand that what we just discussed you know that many of the solutions and many of the questions are there in nature they need to understand all these cycles and I think this is very important. If you look at the digital economy, the smartphones, the, you know, the, the anxiety that all this causes and the lack of attention because kids are all the time now looking at uh, screens and they are activated by many signals. I think it's very important that we take time to walk in the forest with them, that they can touch trees, that they can see that you can make materials new materials based on wood, which are organic materials. So I think it's, it's basic, it's fundamental that we invest in education. Otherwise, we will not be able at the end of the day to, to make the transformational change that we need because these new generations are the ones that will need to take the lead. I think you and me have experienced Finland. Finland is a very good model in that sense. You know, my kids here, I am living, as you know, 500 kilometers north from Helsinki in the middle of forest and lakes. And I, I think one of the things that I love in Finland and one of the reasons what I am, why I am living in Finland is that for them it's very clear that education is not negotiable. For Finland, education is a fundamental pillar of a democratic country. And I think it's where the distribution of a, of a democratic uh, and distributed economy starts. Mm -hmm. you know, because high quality education, regardless of the income of the parents, is crucial for building a, a resilient society. And I think if you look at the Finnish education, they invest a lot of time, resources, but also they bring uh, children to nature, to the forest. They spend a lot of time outside, even if when it is minus 20, minus 50 yes. degrees, you know it well. <laughs> so they take them, if it is raining, doesn't matter. They need to spend time outside. They need to just get dirty, touch the leaves on the, on the ground. And I think this is, this is exactly play, but also see the rhythm of nature, which is very different from the rhythm that you are used to with TVs, iPads, uh, consoles, all these things. So I think it's important to see that timing and time flows in a very different way. And things require time, the change of the color of the leaves, how a butterfly flies, you know, I think this, this is very important. 
you know, to bring this connection back. Exactly. Having more presence towards the moment and noticing what is exactly. what is around us. And this, you know, we're just not talking about mindfulness and all these trendy waves that are going sometimes around practice meditation. We talk about reconnect, as you were mentioning, reconnect with yourself yes. and who we truly are, our disconnection with our surroundings. And, you know, just a proof of that, and I guess that the audience doesn't have to believe us, but just think about those moments in your life, those who are listening to this interview, those moments in your life when you have had the biggest sense of calmness, the biggest sense of peacefulness. And you will always notice that you had those moments of reconnection, either with nature or with those around yourself. But it's just all about being there, present in the moment. And it's in those moments where the best, also innovations, when you hear the biggest innovators in the world. One of the things I like to do, like read biographies of uh, those big innovators. And they always talk about this process, which seems to be like in those moments of reconnection is when the biggest ideas come. And then the rest is like, how do we make it happen? So they never happen in a meeting room. They never happen in a brainstorming session. It seems that most of those great, amazing, innovative ideas happen, especially or in those uh, walks in the forest or be a reconnecting with the moment. And I find that extremely, extremely interesting. And I'm very glad that you're mentioning that, Mark. No, no, you're totally fully agree, Mark. And I think, you know, one thing that you notice nowadays, we, I think we are over, overestimating the importance of meetings, to be honest. I minimize meetings nowadays. And we are underestimating the importance of being alone. I think it's very important to spend time alone, to think, to reflect, really alone, walking, biking, but alone. Because and I think many people are afraid to be alone. Mm -hmm. You, you notice that some people they don't know how to be alone and i think i think this is a fundamental change an individual change that is important in the future you know to to know to spend time alone to think and, and reflect because otherwise you cannot think i 100 agree that's one question that some of my friends have been asking now and then when i've been traveling so much for example when i had i had a two years project in japan and i always stayed a week alone after my sessions in japan and my friends were asking but what do you do How can you be alone? How can you be alone for a week? I'm like, what do you mean? What can I do? I mean, you know, disconnect the phone. I was going to what is called in Japan, the, the, the forest baths. So I was going to all these amazing nature that Japan has. And just spending like five, six, seven days reconnection with nature, with my own thoughts and getting that sense of calmness. But I always got the same question is, how the hell did you spend so many days alone? And like, what? I mean, if you're going to be by yourself, who the hell is going to want to be with you? If you don't want to be with yourself, right? <laughs> that's exactly. a very good that's point. A, exactly. That's the main lesson. Yeah. I face the same question when I explain where I am living. You know where I am living. You can be in my place. Yeah. And you know that one of my hobbies is the ice swimming. Yes, I've been there with you. It was minus 25 that day, I recall. Yes. <laughs> but you see, many of my relatives and friends, they ask me, but how do you, how can you live there in the, in the place where you live, you know, in North Karelia, middle of nowhere, lakes, forest, minus 20 in winter. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yes, if you don't like yourself, it's not a place to be. How do you believe we can create more engagement on both ends? We're talking about governments, but also private citizens. What can we do to help on that dimension? I think exactly what you are doing, Mark, is very important. I think communication is vital now in this, vital in this moment. You know, I think what you are doing is great. I think I really appreciate your effort, you know, because with a totally different background that people like you are interested in nature and the bioeconomy. This is what we need now, mm -hmm. that people like you are the first ones to try to act as a transmitter, you know, of the different communities, because you with your profile are a, a perfect person to talk to business people, to talk to companies and explain that this is needed, you know, even, even better than I can do it. So I think we need 
cross-pollinators, people that will take this, that are ambassadors of change, of transformational change. Mm -hmm. I think we need to engage also with media. It's very important that uh, we engage with media because at the end they can multiply the impact. So we are making an important effort at the European Forestry Institute to have uh, workshops and tours for journalists to explain all the importance of this change because then if they are writing and they are explaining this, we will have a, a major impact. But I think communication is, is crucial now because at the end of the day, politicians will react because there is pressure on them by citizens and citizens, if they are not informed and they don't understand these things, they will not put pressure. So we need a lot of communication in the coming years. Makes total sense. For me, this topic, especially when I've been focusing on reconverting, you were talking about the paradigm shift. And one of the things that I noticed through my working experience is that people do not tend to like the word change. It's somehow, yeah. you know, it's somehow pushing back or people right away has a negative connotation. What I noticed that there's the other side, the paradigm shift on change and what I like to call growth agent. So instead of becoming a change agent, how can you become an agent of growth? And that's more aligned with what you were describing a while ago, which is how can you grow as a human being? How can you help others? And at the end of the day, how can you help the planet? How can you help the environment to grow as well? Because if we don't create growth, change can mean anything. Change can also go for bad or for better. But I think this yeah. is about saving ourselves. This is about making sure that the human race will be here for many many years to come. So for me, it's about creating or becoming this agent of growth. Yeah, yeah very good reflection, Margan. I think many people talk about changing the world, but no one is talking or very few about changing themselves. Exactly. No? And it all starts there. I think what the Dalai Lama, I heard him saying in a conference I assisted here in Helsinki some years ago, when somebody asked like, oh, you know what, look, listen, I'm too small, you know, I cannot do anything to change the world. And then he answered like, well, look, listen, if you believe that you are too small to to make a change, to create an impact, try sleeping with a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, yes. Which message, Mark, before we finish our fascinating interview today, which message would you like to launch to all those listeners who are wondering, what can they do, like the mosquito? What can they do and get involved to support the needed change of mind. I, I think we just we just touch upon it. Eh? I think it's starting to change yourself. And I think at the end of the day, your decisions, your money matters. So, you know, you need to put attention, care about the things that you are buying, which type of houses do you buy, which materials are there, the food that you are consuming. So I think with individual decisions, you can really change the world. And also take the responsibility to try to change others. So I think this is at the end of the day to be responsible for what you are doing. I like especially the last part of the reflection about becoming responsible on the dimensions like what we buy and how we use what we buy. Sometimes it's not just about regulating this impulsive, especially now after Black Friday, which has been a few days ago. So thinking about things like Black Friday or other promotional campaigns when we can see that the, the incentivization of consumption is growing so much. So which kind of things do you buy? Not just if you should buy or not, but which things do you buy? And then after you buy them, how do you take care of them? How long do you use them? And then after the usage is exactly. done, what do you do with them? Do you just throw them away or can you do even donate them? Is there a way to recycle them or just pass them exactly. so that item doesn't get trashed right away? Exactly, Mark. And I think one, one important reflection that many times we forget, eh? it's not only about the circular bioeconomy and shifting materials. It's also about consuming less. You remember when you and me were kids, how many balls 
to play football you had i mean one and, and then you were carrying you know before you had one in the whole neighborhood a couple of kids with a ball and then you had to share the ball everyone was waiting for the owner of the ball to play nowadays you go to a park in whichever city in europe and each kid comes with its own ball mm. you know i think we need to realize also that we are consuming too much also the the clothes the everything you know we need to really calm down and reflect about the the high consumption and at the end of the day it's all about that it's about not creating new behaviors or stopping behaviors it's how to create new behavioral patterns so that behavior is not just reproduced within ourselves but also into the new generations to come because at the end of the day they will just scale or extrapolate what they see within us so changing those patterns and creating new behaviors things like what do we want to stop doing what do we want to modify and which new behaviors we want to create i think it's a good reflection that you were indicating that each one of us could go through and as well as governments they can do a lot on the policy making dimension like i noticed like some some years ago suddenly in finland for example which is a smart country but sometimes also there do their own pitfalls they had these sandwiches in the petrol stations that everybody had been buying for years and nobody had been dying out of eating a bad sandwich and then suddenly they decided that all of the sandwiches should be wrapped up in plastic before that they were all just sold normally without any kind of need to be wrapped in plastic so how do we make those decisions and to yes. think twice which kind of impact those behaviors will have and what can be done to have our little impact into the whole picture mark we know you are busy we don't want to take more time in your agenda it's been fascinating as well to follow your travels uh, during the last month it has been you have been all over the place to say it in some way <laughs> too many places so, yes so it's really exciting as well to see how you spread the message and all the efforts and energy that you and the European Forest Institute is making, is putting to make sure that this future we are talking about is the kind of future that will allow to society to have the kind of life we all expect, this high quality life, not just among Europe, but as well through all the economies around the world. So thanks a lot for your efforts, Mark. Thank you, Mark. It has been a real pleasure. So that was all for today and thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.